Well, hello, all of you Soma Church podcast listeners. Uh, occasionally, we have technical difficulties with our podcast and recording the sermon, and this week was one of those weeks. But we felt like this sermon was important enough in this series that I would go ahead and teach through my notes so that those of you who were out this weekend would be able to uh, catch this sermon. It's, it's, we felt like it was that important. And uh, so I'm going to teach through my notes, and I'm sure there are things that I said this weekend that, that won't come through on this podcast, um, and certain things that happened that were hilarious. And uh, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't there, then you missed it. That's why you got to come every weekend. You never know when you may laugh your head off. So anyway, we're on week number two of a teaching series called Money Matters. And we're talking about finances and stewardship, which we really never do. But in prayer, I ask the Lord, Lord, what is the next thing that I need to preach on that will help people go further and deeper with you? You might remember that further and deeper are two words that the Lord gave our congregation for 2016. And when I heard the Lord say money, I was a little surprised. I was a little thrown off because I, I don't really like to talk about money. I, I don't. I, I kind of have made that my MO, that I'm not that pastor that talks about money all the time. But as I've been studying, and especially as I've been preaching, and then hearing from you guys, uh, I can see how much money really does matter for many of us at Soma Church. By the way, our life groups are walking alongside of this teaching series by going through some of the Dave Ramsey material. So please go to your life group. You're going to be further encouraged, further challenged with some very practical tools. Go to life group this week. If you would go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 2, that would be good. That'll give you a little bit of a head start. While you're turning there, I want to go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. The diabolical plan of the devil is to draw us away from God by diverting our delight in him. I'll go ahead and, and say that one more time. The diabolical plan of the devil is to draw us away from God by diverting our delight in Him. Last week, we read Psalm 92, verse 13. This is, this is like the anchor verse for this entire Money Matters series. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And if you were here last week, this is actually part two of, of that particular sermon. Um, and let me start by saying that God's, God's passion is for His people to prosper. Now, please refrain from allowing your brain to add an itty to the word prosper. Because if you do, you're going to get the word prosperity. And that's not what this teaching series is about. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel message, you know, that if, if you give, then you're going to get. Okay, that's not even biblical. We don't give to get. We give because he first gave. And just like we love because he first loved us. And and God never guarantees anywhere in scripture that we are going to be rich, but he does guarantee that we will flourish because that's his plan for our lives. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to flourish you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The point of this teaching series is not to get you rich. Okay, it's not to help you put money in your savings account or to get you out of debt. The point is for us to be people who flourish 
in the courts of our God. Now, I tried so very hard to begin this teaching series in some other way than talking about tithing. I promise I did. I I, I tried to start with something else, but it's just not possible. God very, very clearly lays out a principle that determines whether or not we will flourish. Some of you may not be familiar with the, the principle of the tithe. Okay, the principle of the tithe goes like this. God gave us the ability to work and earn money. He commands us to give 10% back to Him as a way to worship Him. He allows us to live off of, and this past weekend I had everyone repeat that out loud, live off of, where you're at right now listening, in your car or wherever, I want you to say that out loud, live off of. He allows us to live off of the other 90%. He tells us to manage our money wisely so that we are able to be in a position to help those who are in need. And then he tells us, if we live like this, if you live like this, you will be blessed. You will flourish. But if we don't, we open the door for the devil to come in and rob us blind. Jesus tells us in John 10.10 that that Satan does not want us to flourish, that he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal our joy. He comes to kill our peace so that he may destroy our hope. But Jesus said that he came that we may have life to the full, life more abundant. Your version may say life more abundant. Well, we were in Malachi chapter 3, so look at verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe, tithe means a tenth, a tenth of your earnings, a tenth of your produce, a tenth of what you um, earn. Bring a whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And and we talked more about that last week. So please go back and listen to last week's podcast if if you haven't. And then he says, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now, you got to connect John 10.10 and Malachi 3.10 right here. Okay, Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full or life more abundant, life overflowing. Malachi 3 says if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, then you will receive a blessing until it overflows. And then verse 11, he says, and then if you do that, then I will rebuke the devourer. For you, so that he will not destroy the fruits of the ground. And you may have noticed that God in this verse said, Test me in this. You can put me to the test. And I was thinking about how the test is not to see if God is able to bless us, the test isn't to see if he is able to call off the devil's dogs. We know that God is able to bless us, we know that he is able to rebuke the one who devours. We just have a hard time believing that he will. We don't believe that God is faithful. We don't trust his word. At the end of the day, so many believers, so many followers of Jesus have a hard time trusting his word. Yes, God says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But like we said last week, it's not because God needs our money. He doesn't need our money. It's because he wants us to believe that at the core of who we are, to believe that what James says in James 4, 8, that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. When we draw near to him, he will 
draw near to us. That if you plant yourself in the house of the Lord, you will have life overflowing. You will flourish in his courts. But if you don't plant yourself in his house, you will find yourself outside of his courts, outside of his provision, outside of his protection. My personal opinion is that what God spoke to the prophet Malachi is clear enough and it's good enough. And so I tithe to my local church. I tithe to Soma Church. Yes, I'm the pastor here, but I tithe 10% of my income to Soma Church. Okay, but you may be someone that is listening and you may need more convincing about this principle. So what I want to do is I want to connect a few dots for you. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Okay, you, you have to see that this is a promise. It is spoken like a promise and it is fulfilled like a promise. It is a promise. Just like Psalm 92, 13, planted in the house of the Lord. Anyone who plants themselves in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Okay, and it's the same promise proclaimed roughly 665 years earlier, maybe even earlier than that. It's the same promise. 500 years before that, God told Moses to officially institute the tithe. You can look up Leviticus 27 and verse 30. It says that a tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And it's important, not just for tonight, but in general, but it's important to notice who the tithe belongs to. It says it belongs to the Lord. He calls it holy. It belongs to the Lord. 400 years before that, we see Abraham give a tenth to a man named Melchizedek. If you look at Genesis 14, verses 18 and 19, it says that Melchizedek, king of Salem, by the way, Salem means peace. So the king of peace uh, brought out bread and wine. And it says in parentheses in my Bible, now, Melchizedek was the priest of the Most Holy God. I don't remember saying this this weekend, this past weekend, but many scholars believe that Melchizedek was literally Jesus, like Jesus on the scene. Melchizedek was Jesus. He's the King of Priests. We know uh, King of Peace. We know that Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Okay. In verse nineteen, it says that that Melchizedek spoke a blessing over Abraham, and then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. And I wish I had more time to, to explain all that. It's, it's great, but you can look into it on in your own. Uh, Genesis 14. 2,000 years before that, we see Cain and Abel offer God their first and best. At, at least that's what they were supposed to do. And we know the story. God accepted Abel's wholehearted offering, but it says that he did not have regard. He did not accept Cain's half-hearted offering. That to not have regard means that he didn't look at it. He didn't receive it. And you might remember that God told Cain, if you give your best, will it not go well with you? And it's almost like this principle was supposed to be understood. If you give your best, will it not go well with you? Like Cain was supposed to understand that. I think he was supposed to understand it. But he says, if you don't, if you don't give your best, listen to what he says. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. 
says its desire is for you. That's like saying its desire is to have you. You could even say its desire is to devour you. In fact, look at the word picture. He's saying sin is crouching at the door. I get the picture of a, of a cat or a, a lion, the way that, that they crouch down and, and they get ready to pounce their prey. That's what's happening here. If you don't, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to devour you, but you must master it. And we know the story. Cain didn't listen. Sin did come in and it caused him to murder his brother. And I don't have time to break down all of the stories that we just looked at and, and show you how they promote the principle of the tithe, but I want you to notice how far back this principle goes. I mean, we're talking thousands of years. In fact, if you look at Malachi 3, verse 3, we looked at specifically at verse 3 and 4 last week, but look in verse 3, he says, he will purify the sons of Levi. That's a reference to the priesthood. He will purify the priesthood that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. And then in verse 4, he says, offerings pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old. You could circle that in your Bible. We're going to come back to it. And as in former years. We're also going to come back to that. But listen, as in the days of old, as in the former years, it's almost like God is saying this principle goes way back. And there's actually a clue in Malachi 3 that tells us just how far back this principle goes. And it's found in verse 12. He says, All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And this is actually what we ended with last week. This is, this is what God wants for our lives. This is what He wants for us, that we be a delightful land, that who we are, we are a delightful land and that all the nations would call us blessed. All those around us would call us blessed because they see us as a delightful land. When you read God's challenge here in Malachi 3, like in full context, you realize that he's saying, like in verse 10, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and then verse 3, offerings presented in righteousness, Verse 4, he says, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Verse 12, you shall be a delightful land. Remember, I'm trying to help connect some dots here because many people do not trust the power and the severity of this principle. And this past weekend, I said, let's raise the hood here, okay? Let's look under the hood. Let's look down into the engine a little deeper and see what drives this thing, okay? So think about what he's saying. If you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse— Offerings presented in righteousness, as in the days of old, as in the former years, you shall be a delightful land. Now, when he says the former years, what they're saying is it's almost like that can be translated uh, back in the day, okay, as in back in the day. And the days that he's talking about are in the days of the tabernacle. Remember, Malachi 3 verse 10 said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, in the house of the Lord. Leviticus 27 said, A tithe of everything from the land belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So the place where the people were to bring their tithe was to the storehouse, okay? Where they would bring it to the Lord was the storehouse. And that storehouse was the tabernacle. Eventually, 
it was the temple. Um, but it started out in the tabernacle. And I don't, I don't have time to give too many details about the tabernacle or the temple, which was later a permanent structure. Uh, the tabernacle was mobile that carried around out in the desert when they were wandering. Um, but a few details that I want to give you about the tabernacle is this, and you really need to pay attention. You've got to pay attention to catch the de- these details. The tabernacle is a place where God met with man. It's the place designated for man to worship God. It was beautifully crafted with bronze and gold and fine linens, all kinds of expensive materials, uh, porpoise skins. They used porpoise skins in the construction of the tabernacle. It's like, where do you get porpoise skins? skins, you know, out in the desert. You obviously got to make a trek to the ocean or whatever. So it was beautifully crafted, very, very detailed. Um, God appointed the sons of Levi to take care of this place. Every time God told Israel to move out in the desert, they had to literally take it apart and carry it with them in their wandering. When God would tell them to stop, They had to fasten it all together. All these pieces, they had to fasten it together. That word fasten is very important for this sermon. They had to fasten it all together and and prepare for worship. This place of worship, the tabernacle, was surrounded by a seven-foot high fence. Okay, No one could see in from the outside. You could almost say that the righteous conduct inside was protected. Okay, and there was only one way in to this tabernacle, into this fence, and that was called the gate. The gate was always set up towards the east. Okay, When God would say stop and they would begin fastening this thing together, they made sure that the entrance, the gate, faced the east. When you enter the gate, when you come into the tabernacle, you immediately would be standing in what they called the outer Courts. Okay, I hope you're paying attention to these details. The outer courts and the sons of Levi, the priesthood, were allowed to go further and deeper into what they called the inner courts. Okay, this is the place where the people were to bring their tithe. Okay, the storehouse, the tabernacle, the house of the Lord, Leviticus 27, take your tithe to the tabernacle. Well, remember our anchor verse for this series, planted In the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of the Lord. And there was a long season when Israel did plant themselves in the house of the Lord. And they did flourish. They were a delightful land because they believed God. They trusted God. They obeyed Him. But they ended up getting distracted. And they made some bad decisions. And the devil's dogs ate their lunch. Okay, so okay, so those are the former years. Well, what about the days of old? Okay, because he says it's the days of old and the former years. What are the days of old? When you look up the word old, interestingly, it it means always. It can also mean everlasting or eternity. Okay, the days of always or the days of eternity. Well, what could this be talking about? I believe it's connected with verse twelve. You shall be a delightful land. So go ahead. You should already be turned there. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And while you're turning there, most of most of us know the basics of creation. Uh, after God had created the heavens and the earth and every living thing upon the earth, the animals, the plants, the trees, everything, he created 
man. And by the way, and I think I said this Saturday night, I, I personally believe that the very first thing God ever spoke to Adam was, and again, this is my personal belief, so don't write this down as doctrine, but I personally believe that the first thing God ever spoke to Adam is, hey, I know the plans I have for you, plans to flourish you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I personally think those are the first words (laughs) that God ever spoke to Adam. Okay, so you should be in Genesis 2. Look at, uh, look at verse 8. We'll start in verse 8. It says that the Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Verse 9 says that out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you'll skip on down to verse 15, it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Verse 16 says that the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, if if we didn't go any further, if we didn't go any deeper into this, you can already clearly see the principle of the tithe given to Adam. Adam, I want you to cultivate and keep every tree in the garden, every tree, all of them. One of them is untouchable because it belongs to me. Do not eat from it. But every other tree, every other tree you may eat freely. You'll never believe what the word eat freely means. It literally translates to live off of. (laughs) God gave them all but one tree in the garden to live off of. There was was plenty of fruit, plenty of fruit for Adam and Eve and all the kids they would ever have. Plenty of fruit. This is what I call flourishing. Okay, so Adam, be responsible for what is yours. Cultivate it. Keep it. Respect what is mine. Do not eat it. If you do this, you will flourish. If you don't, you will surely die. And we know the story. Adam and Eve eventually did eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they didn't physically die. It says that they came under a curse. If you look over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Remember what it says in Malachi 3, verse (laughs) 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. And if you remember over in verse 11, Malachi 3, 11, God said, I would have rebuked the devourer for you so that it will not destroy (laughs) the fruits of the ground. I mean, I hope you guys are seeing this right there. Make the connection, Genesis and Malachi. Genesis 3, Malachi 3 right there. Malachi 3 shows us a principle that began all the way back in the garden. We so want to find ways and reasons why not to live by the principle of the tithe, but it's an eternal principle established all the way back in the days of all. But let's get into the real reason people want to do away with the tithe. And let me set up this next part by just 
being very frank, by speaking very plainly. People don't want to tithe because the principle and the action is connected to the house of God. It's connected to the church. And people convince themselves that the church is irrelevant, that the church is unnecessary, and they blame it on corrupt leaders. They may blame it on unloving members. And we, we know people still attend church, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily serve or give or get involved which means that they haven't really planted themselves in the house of the Lord. And they ask themselves, why why am I not flourishing? (laughs) And a lot of times the gospel gets the blame. You know, God, well, God's, God's not good. You know, why would he allow me to go through this? Or why would he allow me to go through that? Why doesn't God hear my prayers? And I just got to tell you that the gospel is not to blame. Okay. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And scripture tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. He may or may not change our circumstances. We got to be clear about that. Just because God draws near to us after we draw near to him, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to clean up the mess, that all the circumstances are going to be changed right away. But he will most definitely give us the joy and the peace and the hope that we need in the midst of the trial or the midst of the difficult circumstances. But the real reason that people don't plant themselves in the house of the Lord is that their desires have been diverted. Okay, their worship is off. The garden was created as a way for man to worship God. And you could see that easily just from the principles of the tithe that we talked about. But I do want to do just really quick. I want to go a little bit deeper and show you characteristics of the tabernacle that we just got through talking about found in the garden. Characteristics of the tabernacle found in the garden. In in Genesis 2 verse 8, it says that the Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden. There he placed the man whom he had formed. Well, first of all, the word Eden means delightful. (laughs) So Eden literally was a delightful Land And of course, it tells us that, that it was pleasing to the sight. It was beautiful. It was good for food. Okay. It was a place where man could delight in the Lord through his service. And it was a place that allowed God the opportunity to take delight in man. Okay. So Eden, I mean, that alone is like, whoa, Eden was a delightful land. And it says that God planted a garden in Eden. He planted. That word planted means established. It literally means, the literal translation is to fasten together. (laughs) Remember we heard that the tabernacle was fastened together every time the Israelites were told to stop in the desert. It was fastened together. Okay, so the Lord God fastened together, planted, fastened together a garden. That word garden is gan. It's in in the Hebrew. It comes from the word ganon, which means to defend. It means to protect. It means to guard. Okay, you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, and it says that after Adam and Eve sinned, that he drove man out of the garden, out of the east end of the garden, and he stationed an angel there with a flaming sword that turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life, to guard the entrance 
into the tree of life. And so you read this. There, obviously, there's some sort of boundary, okay, or, or a wall or some sort of fence. In fact, uh, another translation of the word um, garden is uh, to fence or a fence. <laughs> and so, and there was only one entrance, okay, just like the tabernacle, this fence with one entrance, okay? So you can see that. By the way, Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one goes further, deeper. No one gets to the place where God's glory is, to the presence of God, except through me. Okay, so the Lord God planted a garden towards the east. Okay, now remember what we said. Remember that the the direction that the tabernacle always faced was towards the east. And when they eventually... Um, built the temple, the temple, the gate faced the east. So every time they would stop and fasten the tabernacle together, it had to face face east. Well, this garden faced east. The entrance faced east. And we remember what we re- uh, read in Genesis 3, 24, that he drove the man out at the east end of the Garden of Eden. Okay, that's, again, that's another thing, another characteristic of the tabernacle found in the garden. And then I'll, I'll give you one more. It says that the Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. That word placed, it doesn't just mean that God put him there. Okay, put you there and then go make something happen. No, that word placed, the, the number one translation is appointed. God appointed Adam there with a purpose. Just like the Levites were appointed as lead worshipers. They were appointed as the priesthood. I believe that the garden was a place of worship and that it was a foreshadowing of the tabernacle. And we we know ultimately that the tabernacle pointed to Jesus and our ability to have a personal relationship with him through worship. Okay, so we're putting all these things together. Remember, we're connecting the dots. In verse 15, Genesis 2.15 it says that the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to, okay, pause on that word to. Here's the purpose that God put Adam into the garden, to cultivate it and keep it. That word cultivate, you'll never, you'll never believe what it means. Okay, two words, okay, can be translated two things, to work and to worship, <laughs> That's what cultivate, this word abad in the Hebrew means. It can mean to work. It can mean to worship. You might remember when Moses came back to Egypt and he told Pharaoh, he said, my God says to let my people go so that they may worship me. It's the same word, abad, that they may abad me. Okay, so God put Adam in the garden to work, but also to worship He planted him in the house of the Lord, Psalm 92. By the way, Psalm 92, when you read all of it, it's all about how worship is our delight and how worship is our duty. You know, one of the first verses I memorized was Psalm 37, 4. It was one of my uh, early mentors' life verse. You know how people will have a life verse, a verse that they stand on or uh, that they quote all the time, or maybe they will even sign by their name or whatever. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. So a quick translation, worship him and him alone, and he will always supply what you need. Adam was placed into this delightful land so that he would be able to delight himself in the Lord. Okay, so let's keep going. Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Okay, that word keep it means to keep watch. It means to maintain. It can mean to guard. It can mean to protect. Well, maintain the garden makes sense, right? Trees have to be pruned. uh, Fruit has to be picked. And you have to keep watch over them to know when to do all those things. But what is there to protect? What is there to guard against? There weren't any threats in the garden. There were no enemies. Uh, I mean, the animals all got along, right? The lion lay next to the lamb. Well, remember our sermon in a sentence. The diabolical plan of the devil is to draw us away from God by diverting our delight in him. The diabolical plan of the devil is to draw us away from God by diverting our delight in him. Remember what we read last week that Peter said in 1 Peter, that the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. When you read over into the next chapter of Genesis chapter 3, it says that it begins by saying, now the, the serpent was the craftiest beast in the field. And we know that, that he came to the woman and he said, oh, you, you won't surely die. You're not surely going to die. God just knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. I don't know if you saw that, but right then and there, the devil diverted her delight. In fact, if you read verse six, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Makes me think of Romans chapter one. You may be familiar with this verse, but Romans chapter one, verse 25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Listen, the garden was a place designed for man to worship. I mean, as far as we know, there were no instruments. There was no projector. Nobody was running PowerPoint. uh, No preachers on stage um, preaching sermons. Nothing that remotely resembles what we do today. The only requirement in the garden, the only requirement was to trust, to believe God was trustworthy, to believe that God is good and that his plans for us are good. This is what God wanted in the beginning. And I personally believe that this is what God was hoping to get back to here in Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring your tithe to the storehouse, to my house. And in verse 12, he says, and you will be a delightful land. The Garden of Eden was a delightful land where God could take delight in watching man delight himself in the Lord. But God always gives us a choice. If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And you know what's implied there. It's implied you've got to stay alert. You're going to have to stay focused. Don't allow your desire to be diverted. 
Be careful what you find desirable because your delight will follow. Desire follows delight. And that's essentially what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. We all know this scripture. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is why money matters. Our worship is connected to our work. Not just the way that we work, you know, uh, everything your hand finds to do, do as unto the Lord. Okay, not just the way that we work, but what we do with the fruit of our work. Our money, our possessions, our stuff. We're making these decisions with our money and our possessions, and we're doing it without considering the spiritual repercussions. But we lose focus. We're drawn away from God by believing that the created is more delightful than the creator. We focus on our stuff. We focus on our treasures. We believe that our money is more delightful than the Lord. And we make decisions. Listen, we end up making decisions and we don't realize the spiritual consequences that take place with some of the decisions we make in money matters. First Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say the root, but it is a root. The love of money, the delight of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I can't help but notice that it says it's a root. (laughs) This is a horticultural term. Maybe all of this goes back to the principle laid out all the way back in the garden. Maybe when mom and dad used to tell us that money doesn't grow on trees, maybe that's where that came from, all the way back to the garden. I don't know. Maybe not. What I do know is that God's desire is that we become a delightful land, that he wants us to flourish. He wants all the nations around us to see us, all the people around us to see our lives, how blessed we are, how full of joy, how full of peace, how full of hope, even in the craziest circumstances that we are. And it all centers around this word, Delight. Remember what I said, the Garden of Eden was a delightful land where God could take delight in watching man delight himself in the Lord. I, I got to break down this word delight really quick. In, in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And there's always that question, uh, well, does he give me the desires that are already in my heart? Or does he put new desires inside of my heart? And either way, we win. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, we get the desires of our heart, whether they were already there or God gives us new and fresh desires. It's a win-win for those who follow Jesus and delight themselves in him. But I got to tell you about what this word means. The word delight means pliable. Okay, it means to melt into. And I brought my wife up on stage this past weekend and and went to hug her, okay, to show my affection to her. I wanted to lavish my love and affection on her, and I grabbed her around the waist and I and I brought her to me and she was pliable. She melted into my embrace. Okay, but she could have chosen to stiffen up, to be stiff as a board, whereby rejecting my affection. When we refuse to trust God, when we uh, don't put him at the center of our money matters, when we don't trust the principle that goes all the way back to the garden, okay, what we are doing is we are not being pliable. We are not delighting ourselves 
in the Lord. We are not melting into his grace. He wants to lavish. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us continual joy and peace and hope and and all of these things. He will be faithful to do that. But when we don't live by his principles, when we stiffen up and say, no, we're going to do it my way. No, I'm going to delight in the things of the world more than the Lord. Then what we are doing is we are rejecting his blessings and we can't complain because it is essentially what we are asking for by not trusting that he will provide all of our needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. But when we trust him, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Remember, desire follows delight. God placed Adam in that garden. He appointed him there with a purpose to cultivate and to keep it. And all he had to do is trust and obey, to delight himself in the Lord, and he would live. But Adam stiffened up and essentially rejected the life that God had planned out in advance for him. And I wonder if it's really any different for us. The answer is no, we do the same thing. And so that's why the psalmist says, Psalm 92, verse 13, we'll end with this. Plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you will flourish in his courts. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I can't promise that that's going to be a Maserati. <laughs> I can't promise it's going to be a new house or the best clothes. I can't promise that you that you will be healed of your cancer. I can't promise that I can't promise any of that stuff, okay? But I can promise you that you will have joy and you will have peace and you will have hope for a better future. When you delight yourself in the Lord, because you will be in his courts and in his courts is where you find his provision and his protection.